This week, PSG have just beaten Rennes 3-1 moments ago, as Chupa Moting now averages a goal every 22 minutes. However, we're still reeling from an abysmal performance away at Anfield. We're going to deconstruct it, but try not to relive it. This is PSG Talking. Morning, afternoon, or evening to everyone. Welcome to Chupo Trap House. Happy to have you along, as always. I'm Dave, your sometimes host, and with me today are Mel and James, both previous contributors. We have a potential mid-episode arrival uh, in Kose. Um, I'd like to sh- start with a shout-out to all 18 of our Patreon supporters. We appreciate every dime. Right now, every penny Absolutely. pledged uh, will go to Matt, a.k.a. at PSG Tourist, for his Have a Pint with Jeremy Menez fund. Help make his dream come true, please. Uh, so let's get right into this. <laughs> and we'll start with Ren, as we've all just watched it, and then move on to the real thing that we're all here for, which is Liverpool. So let's, let's sum this up briefly. Uh, we've got... A 3-1 win. Di Maria in midfield, Draxler on the wing, a potentially functioning midfield three with Rabio and Verratti, and another habit, which is a second-half domestic, if not comeback, then kind of switch on. Uh, you kind of make a habit. This team has made a habit of just falling asleep for the first 45 and then playing really, really well for the second 45. Um, so comments on that. Just jump in. There's only three of us right now. We don't need to speak. Well, more. I mean, I think that, you know, there are some important things that, that came out of this. Um, and the psychology of, of, of the comeback and, and how we continue to be a second-half team uh, uh, against opponents where I worry that it shouldn't be the case uh, continued in this game. But, it's, you know, it's important to note that, you know, our number 11, uh, Angel Di Maria has scored 11 goals now uh, from outside the box uh, in Liga uh, since 2015-2016, uh, and that's more than any other player. He uh, needs to be on the pitch uh, because he remains a threat from uh, unique areas of the pitch. Uh, it's important for us. It opens up space. Uh, so I was glad to see him there um, being creative, um, and I was also glad to see Draxler on the pitch. Uh, given the way that Thomas Tuchel seemed to want to locate Julian um, uh, in the preseason and in the early part of the season. We've also scored now 20 goals in six league on games this season. Um, and only our 2017-2018 season was the high, higher than that in, at this stage in, in the tournament. So um, we are doing... Uh, on the league on side, what we're supposed to do. Um, from my perspective, uh, I just, and I'll speak to the psychology of the team really uh, later on in the podcast when we get into that other game we had uh, in the last few days. But um, the my concern continues to be our inability to get the motor running early on uh, because that's who we are as opposed to reacting uh, when another team tries to uh, dictate to us. 
Right. Yeah, I I agree with that completely. And it's kind of surreal watching other games in other leagues. Um, and I don't want to yes. perpetuate this this farmers league thing. I, I of course don't agree with that. But it is there is something surreal of like watching a Premier League game. I watch a lot of Tottenham games and seeing the two teams kind of react exactly to where the game is versus PSG. No matter what's happening, whether it's a routine victory or they're being pressed, it's a warm up session in the first half and. At some point, we have to make a distinction between Unai Emery or uh, Thomas Tuchel being particularly good halftime motivators versus this team just doesn't really care all that much until the second 45. Yeah, I I think that this is something that uh, later on down the line is probably going to – it's going to be a real problem if if we can't start out strong um, because when we have a team that – or have an opponent – it's going to play a full 90, it's hard to climb out of that hole. I mean, w- without getting uh, too far ahead, we saw that just recently. Trying to climb out of the hole is is difficult. And um, we we really shouldn't make a habit out of that. And I, I don't necessarily know what needs to change, um, but I agree with you. We, we've got to do something to, to get out of that mindset of warming up for 45 minutes, going into the halftime to make an adjustment and then trying to turn it on. And I think a deeper uh, comparison uh, would be Paddy Saint-Germain to a club like Manchester City, um, a club that is um, substantively uh, spending on uh, quality players that have to be integrated into the squad almost every year. Um, And, you know, this week they went out and dictated a 5-0 win against Cardiff City, uh, talk about um, Farmers League. Uh, but, hey, up the bluebirds. Um, but the the psychology and the way they went about our business is what I'd like to see from PSG week in, week out in league, uh, which is, yes, uh, the team is going to uh, position itself so that you can't break them down. You spend the first half hour breaking them down, then they have to respond, and then you destroy them uh, because you have the skill, talent, and ability to do so. Um, that is a cultivated mentality, and I think, James, you're right. We can't know what specifically is required to get that done, but we can observe uh, from our position something about the psychology of the team that needs to change. Yeah, I I, I just want to go back really quick um, to the issue of Di Maria in midfield, and this is, this is going to come back up in, in Liverpool, but just to be clear, we can't ignore the fact, as much as I would like to, that Di Maria is the only person in the team, in the entire league, actually, with at least a goal or an assist in every game. And, well, part of that is because he was with the squad since the beginning, but part of that is that he is being utilized actively. Now, do I think he's the right choice for the midfield three? No, I think Di Maria's place, and this is further supported by the Liverpool game, Di Maria can't shuttle it. Uh, so if unless you have two other midfielders who are really really good at doing that, then uh, then fine, Di Maria can play. But if you're relying on him to do that job, then you're gonna really fall behind in terms of ball retention. And so yeah, he can move the ball forward, but there's a certain level of comfort in Liga which you can't really achieve in the Champions League, which is why when Draxler came on in place of Di Maria, we immediately scored because Draxler intercepted a freaking ball. Uh, so I, I'm not. I'm not buying into all the hype 
for Di Maria. I know this is not a surprise for me, but that's just my stance on it. It's Tuchel's got to have um, multiple configurations for multiple situations. Um, that's the type of squad we've got to have. And the struggle this year is that I think the squad is more limited than it's been for the past few years in terms of some of those options. Um, and uh, in spite of, or maybe it's the reason why Tuchel has been playing more youth players early on than I think other coaches did as well. Uh, it's because he knows he's going to need them. Um, and in the league uh, configuration, you're right. You can start with a Di Maria, um, but I'm not sure that you can start with a Di Maria uh, at the European level. I think um, the work that has to be done in midfield, he can't do on the defensive end, but he would be an outstanding sub once the vast majority of players uh, have some miles on him in the game. Um, I think he can be a difference maker from the 60th minute on um, uh, as an option for Tuchel at, at, at the European level. Yeah, I, I agree with that completely. And I mean, it's just about prioritizing the system for me, which is why, like, yes, Di Maria has been more productive, but frankly, you have to prioritize ball retention. I'd put Draxler in the midfield. I'd bring Di Maria on in the forward side or whatever. I don't care where he is. Just It's probably not the best idea. But Tuchel is convinced of his value there. Uh, so it's going to be a long season if you don't like that. Uh, Kose now has joined us. Do you have anything to say on Ren before we move on to the... Liverpool game? Um, a game that started tough, definitely. Um, I was kind of angry at the Bain Sports commentators because they kept on mentioning Paris' <laughs> midweek loss. Um, but but it was... Um, I think it was a good a good win in the end. I mean, Ren is not an easy team to play at home, even though I don't think they have like the, red, the best record against us. But... Um, they they do have a nice eleven, so I'm glad that we were able to turn around a bad result uh, in a difficult stadium. Um, yeah, no, I mean I think we probably shouldn't understate just how good Ren are. They have a solid eleven. I mean they have Hatem Benarfa, so they're virtually unstoppable. Uh, it was it, it was always it was always going to be a little bit tough. Uh, it shouldn't be shouldn't be overlooked. Uh, but nevertheless, this is a team that's fully capable of beating them. And, uh, you know, Chupamoteng scored, so the season begins in earnest. Um, so let's go ahead and move on to the real meat here. Let's move on to Liverpool. And, you know, as I said in the intro, let's go in, let's deconstruct it, but try not to relive it. Uh, it, it is not a fun memory at all. Uh, you know, the media is taking this opportunity to smear the name of the club uh, whenever it can. Uh, not that they're a big victim or anything. I mean, they have a lot of money and all that, but it is unfortunate that it's, you know, Manchester City and PSG are, are kind of neck and neck as punching bags right now. Uh, so it's not a super fun discourse time. Uh, what happened on the pitch? I just want to talk about that. Before we get into, like, structural issues about the club, I want to talk about why the game played out as it did with the 11 that went out there and with the tactics that they were deployed in. Um, I want to know, first of all, if you're, if you're pleased at all with the result, I want to know about what you think about the issue of pressing about the, um, the amount of space Liverpool had on the ball. Um, talk about the midfield with Marquinhos lack of creativity and involvement for forwards and uh, you know, how we even scored at all. How was, how was this almost going to be a draw? Well, me as the, I guess, eternal optimist, I I have a bad taste in my mouth because I thought 
that we could get out of there with a draw. Some of us might call it theft or highway robbery or whatever, but the the reality is we were in a position to walk out of Anfield with a draw, and uh, we didn't. So I'm a little disappointed because of how it happened. I think that uh, Marquinhos in the midfield has his advantages, but the disadvantages are uh, much more severe. Uh, I do think that he plays defense well enough in the midfield, um, but like you said, he has no creativity um, to to help us relay balls forward um, or retain possession or anything like that. Um, same with the Amiria. We we spoke about this just a second ago. His defending doesn't help in the midfield either. Um, and, and uh, I mean, Neymar's not a defender either. So we, we have... We have some some issues defending with the midfield that we put out there. Um, I think how we were able to score is just pure individual talent. <laughs> I, I don't think that I don't think in this particular game that our midfield contributed to us scoring. I think that was something that we have star power, and they found a way to get it done and climb out of a hole. Um, so that was that was a little miraculous on their part. Um, but yeah, my, my overall feeling is that I'm a, I'm a little sour, I'm a little build, bitter, a little salty, but I, I thought we should have got out of there with a draw. Yeah, I feel, I feel the same way. I, I predicted on the last PSG talk, uh, that we would have a two, two draw. Guillaume was shocked. Um, but I thought that, um, exactly how it played out would play out. Um, we would have two goals from strictly our talent. And Liverpool would have two goals from outstanding execution of Klopp's vision. Um, and I felt cheated. Um, I can tell you that on the pitch, what I observed was that the difference maker in this game, having watched it, uh, suffered it, and then going back and, and uh, suffered it again because I'm a football sadomasochist, uh, <laughs> is that Alexander-Arnold yeah, I was, gonna say. was the difference maker in this game. Um, he delivered uh, crosses, operated in space, forced other people out of position precisely because uh, we had no plan for when Neymar uh, had no interest uh, in tackling back. And Alexander-Arnold for Liverpool was the difference maker on the pitch. I mean, I have a lot of other things to say about this game, but the fact that our tactical um, setup positioned Alexander-Arnold uh, to make the difference really against us uh, in many ways uh, tells me a little bit about how maybe um, the moment might have been uh, a little too big for this squad and for its manager on the day. Right. Now that's a um, little... Oh, go ahead, Kose. I was I was just going to say that I couldn't agree more with, with uh, pretty much everything we've heard so far. Um, if you If you would have told me before the game that PSG was going to lose 3-2, I would actually have gone, well, that's not a bad result. But actually, I agree so much when they say, like, the way in which uh, we end up losing. I love the fantastic character. Um, even if PSG didn't, <clears throat> um, didn't magically start controlling the game, even if, they, even if they didn't demonstrate that level that, level that we were hoping they reached, 
they did have enough character to come back from being 2-0 down to draw 2-2, and they were very, very close to actually take a point from Manfield. That we, I think we all, I think I can speak for everyone when we say that would have been a very, very good result, considering the midfield that Thomas Tuchel put out. Um, so to see them uh, lose, like we've done so many times, um, I think this is our fourth straight defeat in Champions League. Yep. Um, and also, I, I, I would have to see how many stats we have about conceding after the 85th minute because it's honestly, I, I think it's baffling that we're able to 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 con- always always concede in the last minute. Yeah, that goes back uh, decades. <laughs> no matter what configuration manager, what the TPSG is. Uh, I mean, my wife took notice uh, and said, again, you know, it's just something that this club uh, does. Um, I can't pin it to any particular roster of players. I can't pin it to any manager. There is something uh, going on with us over the longest of long term with regard to laid on concessions. Um, And... um, it is the most baffling thing to me in world football. I, I tell you, right? Um, next to the next to the magic of Alexander Arnold. <laughs> yeah, I, I was I was going to say um, the strangest thing about this game to me is that Liverpool has three. Everyone going into this game thinks, all right, Liverpool's got three key players. Right? They've got they've got that forward line, but they don't have Firmino. So maybe PSG will have it easy. Well, in fact, I think the three key players in this game are, as you said, Alexander-Arnold. Um, and then the two boys, the lads, James Milner and Jordan Henderson. Yes. The game boils yeah. down to these three players. Three English cost virtually nothing all put together. Free transfer, youth product, and then one was a – I think they got him from Sunderland for like a paltry sum – and the fact is, the system outplays the amount of talent that's that's on the field. So if you look at all of PSG's faults, they were all exploited really, really directly. I mean, James Milner, I can't believe I'm saying this, but James Milner pocketed uh. Neymar the entire game, absolutely bodied him. Uh, Jordan Henderson winning balls back like it's nobody's business. Alexander Arnold completely free to play his most natural game like a training session almost because he's not closed down at any point um and i think that that looks in the midfield there's not enough movement there's not as as many transitions so those those other players can shine neymar's not going to track back and in the defensive midfield i would contend that marquinhos actually can't really do anything in the defensive midfield spot. I don't think he can really defend all that well because his midfield positioning is just as important as whether he can put a tackle in or not. So if he's not closing down the right areas and, more importantly, making himself available for certain passes, which he's not because he's afraid of the ball, then he's costing his team a lot. Um, now, I don't agree with, with the team selection, just to be clear. I don't I don't think it was the smartest thing, but I understand that without Verratti, without Diara, you're really kind of, you're short on options. Yeah, what, what are you going to do, right? Yeah. But it, I think it's telling that instead of sticking with Marquinhos at the DM, he was, he quickly moved into what I would call like maybe a halfback. Um, just like a, a a center back that's right between the other two and kind of occasionally comes out. 
but those the system got more rigid as time went on into kind of a three four three. No, I absolutely agree with that. I think a couple other things that need to be said about uh, this match um, uh, beyond what you said in terms of uh, the difficulty uh, of the team selection and what it really meant um, are are some trends. You know, I, I uh, we are winless in our last champions, last four Champions League games against English sides. Um, with uh, three draws and a loss. Um, and against the previous 12 English sides we've played in Europe, we've only kept one clean sheet. Um, so we know going in to matches against English clubs that we're going to have to score goals. Uh, the other, I think, significant stat has only been FICA since 2015-2016 have conceded more penalties than PSG in the Champions League. Um, they've conceded nine, we've conceded eight. Um, and you could look at each one of those eight penalty situations and explain them away. But I think overall what it means is we go into Europe on the back foot and not on the front foot. Um, we are playing too much in our own half in Europe. Um, and then finally, I think that, you know, when you look at uh, Neymar in particular, both today against Gren and at Liverpool, um, and compare that to some of the highlight videos that any of our listeners or any of us can look at with Neymar at Barcelona. Uh, Neymar received the ball uh, in Barcelona in similar areas to where he receives the ball for PSG. But I would submit that the big difference are the runs that other players are making when he receives the ball to free up space versus what happens when he receives the ball for PSG. When he receives the ball for PSG, all of the other players, and Di Maria uh, excluded, um, tend to just watch him and wait yeah. for him to do something. And when he was at Barcelona, the reason why they had such great dynamism up front was because three to five players <laughs> would be making some sort of run uh, to free up space uh, for Neymar so that he could pass and then he could make a run to free up space uh, and then the defense is out of sorts. And so I think uh, that's a really big deal for us. Um, we have to stop watching and waiting for Neymar to make some magic um, and realize that um, the runs that we make dragging people out of position is frees up the space for him to be magical. So and right. I think that's a really good point um, because you're right. When, when Neymar gets the ball, it seems like Everyone turns into a fan. Right. They all stop what they're doing. See how many people Neymar is going to be able to dribble past, and he ends up running into a wall. Uh, and I couldn't. I really couldn't agree more because I think that is a huge, huge symptom of um, this disease that PSG have. That for some reason in the Champions League they're not able to hit this overdrive so that they can play to a much higher pace. You always see them trying to slow the game down, trying to slow the opposition down, because they're always being overrun in midfield. So there's no pace. There's no pace to their game. And that, of course, results in Neymar having to try to do all, and then he ends up looking ineffective because he has no options to which he has to connect. I, I absolutely agree with that. The Liverpool were smart enough to congest Neymar, and they did it not at the expense of their own shape, which is really impressive. And it, it, it speaks to the because again, Milner having a great season and Henderson Liverpool's <laughs> captain, but they're not players that are on the caliber 
that should be individually having a field day with Neymar on the wing. No, um, David, we should be looking at James Milner and going, <laughs> that's the weakness. Yeah. Right. <laughs> um, I wish. Uh, yeah. But, yeah, it's it's the fact is, last season we had this conversation a lot where Neymar would be would go through phases of being extremely good and then would go through a couple games where he's kind of shut down. And he's such an active player that he looks worse than he is. Uh, just because when he doesn't see an option, he, he continues to try to add forward impetus. And it's not like that didn't work out, because remember, one of these goals was Neymar dribbling into the box, and then the ball gets taken off his foot, and he it's technically, he creates the goal for Mbappe, who just, you know, strikes home. It's, it's basically an empty net. Um, that's because Neymar was dispossessed in the box. That That goal, that is why that goal happened. So it's not like it doesn't work, but the space creation in this system is not working for Neymar. And it goes back to the midfield. I am, I'm sorry to say, but when you've got Rabiot, who is not at his best right now, absolutely. Uh, today showed that. I mean, he cleaned it up in the second half with against Ren, but uh, the first half, you know, the own goal, and just not all that committed. You don't have Verratti. And it's so frustrating that, like, again, with Laurent Blanc, you have Verratti dependence. Whenever he's out, things are really, really awkward. Pastore has to try to retain the ball, which he's not good at, even though he's the best player in the world. Um, and then with Emery, you have this weird 4-2-3-1 that you work on, and then you go back to a 4-3-3 that only works if Ferrati plays. And then now we have Thomas Tuchel, who works on all these systems, the 3-4-3, 4-2-3-1, and then we get into our first big game of the season, and it's a 4-3-3 again with no Ferrati, and of course it doesn't work. It's just, I beat my head against the wall at this why? Like, what? what is so sacrosanct about this formation? I mean, for God's sake, Marquinhos is not a defensive midfielder. It just, it confuses me deeply. Well, and let me uh, add to the podcast that, you know, I have a friend who um, is in the in the press corps uh, that, that watches PSG, uh, watches practice sessions, uh, sometimes seeing some closed practice sessions. Um, and I can tell you that one of the things that multiple managers have seen is... Um, uh, an Adrian Rabiot who is spectacular on the practice pitch. Spectacular. Um, and gives managers um, the confidence that he is going to do the shuttling and do the distribution um, that frees up space. And I, in, in my experience, we see um, an Adrian Rabiot who... Um, blows hot and cold, and no matter what the situation is, will give away one or two key uh, turnovers uh, every single game. Um, and so I think that's part of uh, the thinking with the, the retreat into the four-three-three is what they're seeing from Rabio. I think that's the other reason why, um, besides um, financial fair play, that we see the, the midfield situation uh, enter the season the way it did is that there is a belief that he is going to take a next-level step. Um, and we'll see how this plays out across the season and across the podcast. Um, but I think that they're seeing something in Rabio and in a Rabio Verratti um, 
mix where they can go Robbie Overati and then a defensive midfielder in in Lasana Diara or Robbie Overati and then you know some attacking flair with Draxler or Di Maria. Um, but I think that they see the engine as Rabio, and I simply don't necessarily share their optimism on that. Certainly not as a consistent feature. Mm. Yeah, it's it's an excellent point, and I think it's it's frustrating as a fan because you know Adrian Rabio can be imperious. You you know he can be one of the best young midfielders in the world, one of the best midfielders bar none on his day, but his day started coming like two seasons ago and then has just kind of appeared once in a blue moon since then and you're kind of you're kind of deep into this hole with him where he's got too much upside to let go um but but he's not reliable enough and for me the the solution there is just sign the kid up to a new contract because he is good and it's hard to ignore it even if he's kind of a and you get in another midfielder. I mean, I hate to say it, but you know, did we did we really need like Chupa Motang in I mean obviously He's a goal we, scorer. He's obviously a goal scorer. we did. Chupa Motang is what makes this team tick, but did we really need to use wages on this guy when we have like twenty thousand you know, eighteen year old forwards in our cat just an infinite faucet of eighteen year old forwards who can all score um, can't we just give them the squad place and then let those wages go towards a midfielder fund? I don't know. It confuses me. Um, I want to get other opinions on the formation thing because that that comes to mind now. With now that we're talking about Chupamoteng, we have um, we saw today briefly a four. I want to say a four 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 two diamond. Um, if not a, just a regular four four two, I thought it was kind of a diamond. But basically, Chupamoteng and Cavani up front, and then everybody else kind of shoved into midfield with Neymar kind of in the free role in the third quarter, and then everybody else kind of shoring up the middle. Now, ignoring the fact that Chupamoteng is a key part of this, what do you think of that? So we're we're talking about the the. Second half formation for PSG. Yeah, it's just general formation talk because obviously the the four three three here catastrophically didn't work. So what what are the alternatives we have today? We saw one of them today. Uh yeah, of course. I mean, and um, we see we see uh so much. I, I mean, we know how much instability we see from from a PSG midfield. Um, that has Di Maria as one of its as one of its parts. And I personally, I, for some, for, for such a long time, I always believed that Rabio would be our ideal number six. Like he would evolve to be that perfect dis- defensive player that we need. Um, but I think Rabio is, is that kind of player that doesn't do uh, like has a, a a wide variety of things he can do well, but doesn't have like one thing he's absolutely excellent at. So. I think like he's very versatile and you can use him in a variety of roles. But he's never going to go to that next next level of I don't know, like being that second midfielder that comes and scores a goal. Or he's not like super like you know, we we've heard how many times like he's he has key turnovers um taken from him. So 
I don't know. It's it's a it's a player that's hard to use, uh, even though we know he's a fantastic midfielder. Um, which which <laughs> kind of segues into what baffles me, which is that they sent Lochelso before the season. Like yes, like like why why would they do that? Like I know I'm biased because I absolutely love Giovanni and I love his play. Um, and and uh, I I protected Emery blindly when, when he, he he started him at the Bernabeu because I love him as a player. But still, I think he offers so, so much. Uh, certainly much more defensively than Di Maria. Uh, and s- still a great, great quality in attack uh, um, and, and creating play. So, like, I mean, why didn't we keep him? And, and you know what? If you want to start Marquinhos as a defensive mid, that's fine. But you can also have that option as a more attacking midfielder that can actually contribute in defense. Yeah, I think that's a fair point. I know we're getting a little off topic from the uh, the formation discussion that David wanted to have. But I do think that we might actually be in a little bit better of a position uh, had the Chelsea still been around, um, at least with the options that we have and the, the depth that we need now when Verratti is not available. Um, and I don't even know, is he is he back to full health? Is, I mean, I, I don't Verratti? know. Not, not, that, not that you could tell. Right, yeah. So I, I, don't, I don't even know that he is dependent or dependable in the sense that he could re-injure himself seemingly at... at any moment now, um, which is not that's doesn't bode well for us. Um, not having anybody, like you said, we when we go to the four three three and Variety's not on the lineup. Like we have some serious issues, and if he's not going to be able to play uh, to his potential, whether it be due to injury, not feeling well, doesn't want to, who knows. We've got to figure something out, and I don't have any issue with um, Tuchel trying to experiment and play with all these different formations, but I don't want us to be mediocre at a whole bunch of formations and not right. good at any of them. Yeah, right. Because that's that's Liverpool's strength is working that system together, and for for five years they've been. Through high and through low, and I remember when Jurgen Klopp was getting crucified for having spent like three times as much as as uh, Brendan Brendan Rodgers and having the same exact win loss. Like there was a time when their wins and losses overlapped completely, and people were like, "Well, when are we going to wake up from this Klopp thing?" But they stuck with him. Of course, they, he was never really in a position to get sacked, but they stuck with him. And now look, um, they're good at one really really clear thing that they all understand. I think it is kind of comical, and I agree. There, there's something to be said for like not, not being. You can't go full Pep Guardiola unless you're Pep Guardiola. So you can't just not have a formation. It's good to know what the system is, but there is just something unacceptable to me about our go-to formation in the big game being a three-man midfield with a a the three anchors of this thing. A are Verratti, who is so injury prone in the in the past two seasons that he is either not in or is not at a hundred percent perpetually. 
because we know 100% Verratti is good and is absolutely a great player, but he's rarely around. B, Adrian Rabio, who has like split personality disorder. And C, there's two C's. There's Angel Di Maria, who is not a midfielder and is also the least consistent man on the planet. Or it's a defensive midfielder that doesn't exist. So there's no no position within that midfield three is adequate for uh, like what's supposed to be a top five European team. So for me, I think the the formation thing is dire because like I wanted to ask you all who would you have gone with? And I think at the beginning of the season, if you ask me, you know what, Marquinhos a defensive midfielder sounds like a great idea. That sounds like a total good stopgap because I remember him at right back under Laurent Blanc sometimes, and he's good. He was a solid right back. And now we've seen Marquinhos a defensive midfielder, and he can't do it. He's afraid of the ball. So what the hell do you do? You know, I think everybody's going to be getting to the midfield and scratching their head because we don't have Lo Celso anymore, who maybe could have done it. And Rabio can't really play the six. So there's really no right answer. I mean, I, no, I mean, I, I have to believe that Lo, Lo Celso uh, uh, going away, the way he went away, when anybody with uh, uh, one eye that works, um, uh, like Firmino, uh, can see that <laughs> can see that um, our midfield mix is 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 going to be the difference this year. Um, it has to be uh, related to our perception of how it would impact financial fair play. It just has to be. Yeah. I don't understand any other uh, any other decision making process. Um, even though word on the street is that it may not be as beneficial to financial fair play as soon as we would like, right? Uh, because of the payment schedule. But uh, that aside, um, for me, that would be the only reason uh, in this season to to do that. The The other piece is, you know, if you were to ask me with this group what I would like to see uh, formation-wise at the beginning of the season, I would have said a 4-2-3-1. Um, I think that I like deep set midfielders who, you know, split the difference between a central midfielder and a defensive midfielder and make runs from that space as, um, as, as needed, uh, as dictated. Um, and then I would have, uh, but that requires more work, uh, and, and a slightly different culture of wing play from both Killian and, and Neymar. And, you know, in a, in a world cup season, People are coming back late uh, with a club culture, to be frank, um, that hasn't for a long time uh, positioned the manager uh, the way Jurgen Klopp is positioned at Liverpool. You know, because as you said earlier, David, that that is Klopp's team. They execute Klopp's vision. Um, they are not if they're not willing to, to, to press, if they're not willing to work the system then they don't play. Um, and I don't think anybody could say that about PSG. Um, but I think that in terms of our talent, uh, a four-two-three-one uh, for me would would maximize that talent best. Um, I think that having the ability to go to uh, a four-three-three uh, is important. But um, I don't think that we have the um, the transition solidity. We don't have the solidity and transition that we need from a four three three with the players we have. 
Yeah, I agree completely. And I think this is probably a good segue when talking about the manager's power and the manager's ability to implement his plan. Um, to move on maybe to sort of talking about the mental issues present in the team. This is this is a position that I've seen taken by a couple of people. Uh, number one, Mark Damon, who runs the PSG Small Talk uh, kind of instant recap style podcasts. Um, he is a big he 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 re- rejects any sort of materialist analysis of this game and prefers to say like look it's in the mentality of this team there was no way whatever 11 you put out there is going to win it um, I think that's maybe a bit reductive uh, but another tweet that I that I liked Jonathan Johnson who's an ESPN FC analyst for PSG he's been on the show a uh, very good guy worth a follow uh, he said look, Thomas Tuchel is not going to be able to put his best 11 on the field before the end of the year. We will go through 2018 without Tuchel deciding on a best 11. Now, I agree with that. I think that's 100% true. And that goes into like the transfer market as well, but the fact is there's no system here. Um, do you think that there's something to be said about mentality player fatigue, a poor locker room atmosphere when it comes to Champions League games, because that's what we started talking about this podcast, is like, we can't wake up in Ligue 1. Like, is this team in it for, for, is this team, does this team have motivation? Like, an intrinsic, an intrinsic uh, motivation in every single game to turn it on for 90 minutes. Do you think there's the potential in this team to see that? Uh, I think there's, I think there's potential. Um, what I worry about is that um, uh, some of the players may, I have no idea, I'm just throwing things out there, uh, they may be concerned more with their individual brand over dominating teams as of right now. And I wonder if um, some of that star power is um, what is causing us maybe to to sleepwalk through the first half. And only when we realize that, hey, we might actually get beat, do we decide that we need to do something about it. Um, I, I think that sometimes maybe we kind of just think that we're going to show up and just win because we're a... World Cup winner or a uh, Ballon d'Or uh, finalist or, or something like that when we need to come together as a team and just decide, hey, look, you know, we're, we're going to whatever we need to do to make sure that this is a five nil game in our favor. We need to do from the kickoff. Uh, yeah, I mean, I think, yeah, I think that's a very good point. And for me, um I think uh, PSG are in a hard situation um, because I we we all know Liga is not an easy league. Um, you're gonna face hard teams. It's very physical. Uh, conditions are hard, so definitely not an easy league. Um, but still, there's not that one team that's able to go neck and neck with PSG. You know, so of course I completely understand that there there there's this feel that. Uh, where is that motivation for the players? 
um, to do everything they need to do from the start uh, and uh, not not rather need some kind of push in the sense of we're gonna lose to show off um, and actually and actually uh, produce some good football and and hopefully results uh, and of, and I think this this translates a lot in Champions League where players are more concentrated in trying to get better results um, and and we see good signs but at the same time we do not see um, clear. Uh, I don't. I think a clear idea, um, and and we've talked about how many times in the end uh, what we present in the big games is the four three three with or without Verratti. So it's a hard situation. It's a hard situation. I think um, it's worth a shot to to give more time to youth players like Tuchel has been doing this this um, this uh, semester, as if you want to call it, because. Um, these are players that don't usually get any minutes, especially under Emery uh, and Laurent Blanc. You didn't see uh, them rotating as much. Um, and we're seeing good things from the academy. So I think that's at least a, a good positive we can take uh, from the first half of the season. Uh, if you look at the facts that uh, Tuchel has still not been able to um, put out, like you said, his best 11. I think I think I agree with, with everything that's been said. I, I... You know, as I consider this question, you know, I, I looked at it in our in our run of show, um, and I try to think about it from a couple of different perspectives. One is that, you know, if you're a team, if you're a team member, if you're part of the the, the, the first team uh, for PSG, you are you are living the environment that's in front of you, and you know, you're living your day to day. You don't have actually the same perspective that we have. Uh, as fans, when we look at other high-performing, uh, uh, star-laden squads in soccer and even in other sports, you know, what's interesting for me is I, when I see PSG uh, and the way that it's organized, uh, the team that I think of the most that compares to them is actually the New York Yankees, right? And I don't want to go too far on a soccer podcast into baseball, <laughs> but what I will say is you know, there's a lot of similarities uh, to that uh, particular club, that baseball club, in, in that there's a history of having uh, cults of personality type players, from Rai to Pauletta, you know. I mean, one of my favorite players a long time ago was Eric Rabasandratana, right? <laughs> it's like there's cults of players around around PSG. But if you were to say right now, you know what historically has been the club culture of play? Right? There's no real answer to that. Right? There is no Parisian way of playing. Um, there is no real um, uh, club culture of, of, of going about their business. You know, uh, Al- uh, Nasser Al-Khalifi is, is modeling, even with the most recent Urdu training center. Right? He's mo- they're modeling other clubs and what they do. Right? Um, hey, other clubs have an incredible training center. We need to have an incredible training center. But that's a different question than what is the club's culture? What is the club's mentality? What will it be regardless of the players we bring in? And how do we sell players on that and not just the other things that we sell players on? Um, I think one of the big problems in our mentality to finish is 
um, that I don't see Tiago Silva as the captain. Yeah. Uh, um, I just don't. Um, this is a guy who I think um, at his prime was a tremendous player. I have a lot of respect for the way that he recovered from tuberculosis after he joined Dinamo Moscow, right? Um, the dude almost died. Um, he, he decided to retire from football. He came back from all, all that to have an incredible career uh, with Milan and now with PSG. Um, but, you know, whether it's for PSG or for Brazil, he doesn't demonstrate a leadership, a, di- a difference-making set of leadership skills when it comes to the clutch. You know, I can only point to one time where I saw that, and that was against Chelsea in that one game we all know, <laughs> right, yeah. um, at Chelsea. Um, but you talk about, like, being the difference maker and setting forth and being in alignment with the manager and the owner for from a cultural standpoint to say, hey, um, I'm going to make sure that whether it's true or whether it's a rumor that Verratti is smoking on his own time, I'm going to make sure that that's not happening as the captain, right? I'm going to make sure that when I see Rabio giving the ball away, that he knows that he's going to be held accountable by me in the next practice. I'm going to make sure that my Brazilian compatriots uh, recognize that there's a perception around, you know, our commitment to uh, deep levels of hustle that people perceive English players as, as, as more willing to, to sacrifice than we are. And we're going to show who we are when it comes to Liverpool. Like there's no, all the stuff that you would see at any other level of performance and play from a captain, I don't really see uh, from Thiago Silva. I don't see players looking at him for the motivation or, you know, cutting their eyes to him when they make a mistake sometimes. You know, there's no accountability sensibility from his, his captaincy. Um, and so for me, and I, you know, I recognize that, you know, there might be a lot of people who might be on this podcast as other contributors and or people who listen who might think I'm out of my mind with that analysis. But for me, I don't think that he's that he's the captain that we need. Um, and I don't think that the culture contributes to the type of mentality we have to have to perform at the highest level on top of all the other issues around players uh, and situations uh, that we've mentioned. Yeah, no, totally, totally. I absolutely agree too. Um, I just wanted to ask because I, I mean, I think the idea is fantastic, but who else, who else would, uh, do you think would, could, could go maybe ask as, as an alternate captain? Well, I think if I were Tuchel, um, and I was looking at PSG and the work that they've done, I would probably pick somebody like Cavani or, or um, as captain, precisely because of the level of work rate, right? So I would start I with that, I agree. right? That would, buy, I would that have been my choice, too. That would have been my choice, too. You mean captain has to do a lot of different things, you know, that sometimes we don't, we as fans don't know about, you know. Um, but if you're starting and you go just from the, just from the standpoint of, you're going to work hard. So we're going to start with the guy that I see working the hardest, you know, yeah. and yeah, we need to get Guillaume on here. There's too much agreement. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Guillaume, Guillaume needs to yeah, stir some shit up. Guillaume <laughs> would not have been happy uh, with the, the, the whole draw scenario. <laughs> um, the thing that I, the, the, my problem with that, right, is that you can't envision a scenario where you just, unless we really want to believe that Tiago Silva is this 
completely emasculated husk of a man, which I don't really buy. Um, I agree that he has not been a great captain, aside from that one magical night at Chelsea. Um, But I don't think you can just strip a guy of an armband without incident. And I think that's probably why he still has it. Because let's be honest, Unai Emery, who is not the bravest man in the world, uh, he dropped this guy against Barcelona. Was it Barcelona or Madrid? Uh, I think it was Barcelona. Barcelona. I think it was Barcelona. Yeah, so he dropped him. Leg. He dropped him for the first yeah. leg against uh, against Barcelona. And that was not because of a fitness thing. It was because it was it was a, it was like an act of you know, it, he was trying to put a foot forward and saying like this is not the person that we want leading the team. And whether it's Marquinhos or Cavani who are both worthy inheritors of the armband, I think, or Kimpembe, who I think everybody would love that. Uh, having the weird prince knockoff that's heralding our defense. Um, oh, I love Kim Pembe's fashion sense. He's hysterical. Uh, but you can't you can't really envision a scenario where you're not just waiting out Tiago Silva to be cap to to not be captain anymore. I think that's what's going on. At least that's that's my opinion on it. So, no, I, so I think I think you're right, but I think that there's you can have a transition, right? Uh, mm-hmm. But all of that springs from a set of confident decision making, right? I think the Unai Emery piece was reactive; it was reactive to player power, right? That seems petulant, right? Versus coming to Thiago Silva and saying, "Hey, I'm going to be naming uh, Marquinhos and Ver- and um, Edison Cavani as vice captains." Um, and when we have our press conferences, they're going to be coming with you. Um, and unless our culture, unless you start supporting our culture better as the captain, um, I'm going to slowly transition them into that role because I have respect for you. But we're going to, this is going to be the way I think it needs to be. That is a, a difficult thing to say when, you know, in any given situation or scenario, the easiest thing to change is the manager. Um, but I think that um, that 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 there could be an effective transition there. There could be a sharing period where it ultimately transitions to somebody else. You could ultimately get Tiago Silva behind it. You know, I think particularly if it was Marquinhos, you know, he could say, yes, right. you know, um, I want to see my little Brazilian brother um, <laughs> take over this role. My you know, I, I was just going to say, I th- and I think Marquinhos is a fantastic captain um, because, he is one of the players that really did develop into a world-class player at this club. Um, and he has this certain degree uh, of, of... He has a certain degree of pride that he holds for this club, which I think helps his cause a lot. Um, and even if sometimes at the very, very high level, uh, we see his, his mistakes still because he's not a completed defender yet. Um, we, we see how talented he is and and many, many people, including myself, I thought he should have started the World Cup. Um, but the point is that that I think he is a, a, a great um, a candidate to take over that role. Well, and you, you quickly mentioned something else that I, I just want to... I'm going to shut up after this, but you quickly <laughs> mentioned something else that also, for me, sticks in my craw with regard to the mentality of the team in terms of how it engages the players as well, which is almost all of our players come to us 
as almost complete or, you know, they need a few things and then they become far more complete, but they all still have a couple of deficit areas. And my worry is that with our club compared to some other clubs at the highest level, you don't see the closing of that deficit gap. Like people come to us, you know, and they, you know, they have five things they do well and one thing they don't do very well. And that one thing they don't do very well never gets better. <laughs> it never becomes uh, something that gets taken off the table in terms of their performance. Mm-hmm. And for me, that's indicative of a club that is player led versus a club that is manager led or owner led or administratively led. Um, when a, when a player comes and they sort of think, well, I'm here now, I've arrived and I'm, I'm the package that they need and, and they don't become, uh, something different in the next two to three years. Um, they don't refine their set of skills. I think Marquinhos is the exception that demonstrates that rule, right? But we invested in Marquinhos in a lot of different ways from the dental work that we invested in to, you know, a lot of other things. And, and I think he values that investment that we made in him. Um, that Roma, to be frank, wasn't willing to make. Right. Um, but there's a lot of players who come to us almost ready. Like Verratti is a great example. Yeah. You know, he is, he came to us from Pescara. He had a certain set of skills, incredible vision, uh, great balance, um, could, could unlock defenses with the pass. And he is still substantively that player. He also, one of his weaknesses is, the way he comes in and tackles and the, the yellow cards he accumulates. And that hasn't been fixed. You know, I think he's a, he's a great example of what I'm talking about. And it's just something that I, I see that I think um, if we don't fix, we don't have a chance for sustained long-term success relative to some other clubs I've seen. So I guess to close this out, since we're getting, uh, we're getting about to the hour mark here, the last thing, since we've talked about kind of ad infinitum with Emery and now with Tuchel, I want to ask very simply, do you think, not that Tuchel will try to or that he might have the power to implement some kind of vision? I believe that is the case because they wouldn't, simply put, the board would not have appointed Thomas Tuchel if they didn't want a change in the backroom culture, a shift towards more manager power, and we've seen some of that. We've seen a lot more youth involvement. We've seen some aspects of the club which are clearly coming from Tuchel's directives. However, things are not super clean, like with the whole Antero Enrique stuff. So do you think he is going to be able to put together some kind of vision by the, you know, let's say five years from now? Is that do you see Tuchel's vision still in place five years from now, or do you think it's going to crash and burn? That's all. That that's that's the only question I have there. I think as long as we give him the time, uh, then yeah, I think that that vision, uh, the vision should be in place, and I, and I think uh, I feel confident that it can be. Um, but I do think that uh, sometimes we can have a little bit of a short leash. Uh, when it comes to Champions League performance. And I don't think that's always a bad thing, but sometimes you have to let things develop and um, let a manager work his way into the style that he that he wants and that he needs to be successful. So um, I do have confidence in him. I think that he can, he can get things 
where he needs it to be. Um, and I believe that as long as the the club allows him to be a little bit of a hard ass and do what he needs to do, then I, I think we can we can see his stamp and be prosperous from it. Um, yeah, yeah, I agree completely. And I think I think Tuchel is um, a manager that's very faithful to his style and very faithful to his values. So I think that um, his mentality and his ideology, of course, given uh, the correct amount of time, like you said, should uh, be able to imprint uh, that identity in the field that's uh, him leading the team and not uh, the people on the pitch. Um, I don't know if if uh, Tuchel would have been my first choice, um, but I do like his playing style, and I do like that he's come in and shaken up the dressing room a little bit. Um, but yeah, I mean, uh, um, we have many, many uh, talented players that uh, need to need to all be uh, placed together under one umbrella so they can produce. Um, not only good football, but also good results um, and consistent results. So hopefully Tuchel will be that, that man. Um, I had a lot of faith in Emery at the beginning, so I don't want to call it anything, but I've seen Tuchel, and I think it it's, uh, it, it paints a lot better than, than uh, what we saw with Emery. So we'll have to see how it develops and, and before we can make a, a, an assessment. Yeah, I, I, I agree with what's been said. I think that you know, David. You said you said say five years, and you know, both folk, both 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 other participants on the cast have said if he's given that amount of time. What I do when I think about that period of time is look back at the last time uh, he had that amount of time to work with the club, and really it was only Mainz. Right. Um, but look what he did with Mainz when he was given. Uh, to the time. I mean, this club was unheard of when it was promoted to the Bundesliga. Um, he was he was named manager in 2009, and by 2014, he had led them to a fifth-place finish. He had led them to um, uh, perfect starts to the season, where um, they had uh, defeated Bayern Munich away. Um he finished uh, with a seven-place finish, took them to the Europa League uh, qualifying rounds. You know, he does have the ability to, to implement a philosophy. Um, and if he gets enough time um, and is able to bring in a couple of players um, um, that, you know, don't necessarily have to be superstars, but have to be superstar at their work ethic, in my view, mm-hmm. Um that I think he he does have a chance to position us to be strong enough to to compete uh, towards the tail end of of the Champions League. I think it's a given that any manager that comes in here had better be successful domestically. Otherwise, they're out, right? But I think we're talking about above and beyond that. It'll take um, that time to to be successful. If he gets it, I think he will be. I think he'll get it. I think the club can't afford to not give it to him uh, because the past couple managers, you've got Laurent Blanc, who's the most conservative one, and that didn't work out at all. And the long-term effects of that were, you know, it took a while to shake it off. And unfortunately, Emery was the victim there who had to do it. But even looking at Emery at his high points, he's kind of this 
half breed conservative uh, and and forward thinking young manager, which doesn't really work out. With Tuchel, you have a commitment. And the club has made a commitment hiring him. And I think if it comes to Tuchel butting heads backstage with Enrique or anybody else, I think Tuchel is going to win. That's that's my opinion because I sincerely believe the powers that be are behind the guy. And he's going to get the time. So unless something goes catastrophically wrong, which I hope it does not, I think in five years we, we're still talking about and complaining about or praising Thomas Tuchel. That's that's my prediction, which I'm making right now. I hope I'm right, because I don't think there's an alternative, which it would be better for us. Uh, and I certainly hope that, like, if Mourinho gets sacked from United, the Nasser al-Khalifi is like, oh, this is the way forward now. <laughs> I certainly hope this doesn't happen. <laughs> I, a, I absolutely agree with you there. I have a question, Kose. Who was your first choice? Because you said Tucho wouldn't have been your first choice. I don't know. It's it's uh it's hard to say because um I do like Tuchel's um it uh I don't know if you've I, I like I like Tuchel's work ethic. I don't know if you've ever heard about um Wolves manager right now, Nuno Spirito Santo. Mm-hmm. Um uh, I don't think he would have been available, but I have been following his career. Um I l- really really like uh what he does with the teams. Um, and I think he's the kind of manager that, uh, and I'm, I'm just obviously just picking this out as a wild card because <laughs> there is no, there is no, um, serious reason why PSG would suddenly, uh, look for him. Um, but I mean, like, I would personally love, uh, to see him at the helm of a big club someday because I think that the way he manages, uh, many types of personalities, and he makes them work with his system and with his his um, values of how football should be played, uh, making a very, very valuable manager. And more than a specific name, I think that's the mentality that we need to go after. And that is why I mostly agree with Tuchel taking at the helm, even though maybe there would have been better choices. Right. That is the only time I've ever heard an argument for Nuno Espirito Santo to PSG. <laughs> that's, a, that's a novelty. That's, that's the power of this podcast. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, in the absence of any other points, we can wrap up there. Uh, thank you all for joining me. A um, little bit of you know, a little bit of growing pain to kind of transition to a little bit more of an open format, but I think it'll end up going well. Uh, and you know, things hopefully on the up and up for us. Uh, it's a new season still, and there's a lot of ground to be covered going to try to be getting these out more frequently and i think we have this season been producing quite a bit more audio content uh let us know if the audio content of the psg talk website is really why you keep coming back to it uh because that's a discussion we're all having on our own time uh what is where 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 is this website going to go what is the direction that we're all heading in uh because it seems like everybody really really is coming back for um, the stuff that we offer that nobody else offers, and that's that's audio content with all of our very talented guests and guest hosts and Guillaume. So, uh, thank you all for listening. Please check out our Patreon. Check us out at psgtalk.com for everything else that our website produces. Thank you to Mel, Kose, and James, and we'll see you next time. Thank you for having me and listening. Thanks, to my, uh, football yeah, fan. Thanks. <laughs> Absolute privilege. Appreciate it. Arrêtez de vous reproduire.
Vous êtes des animaux. Vous êtes des animaux. Vous êtes des animaux. Vous allez crever.